1: Good afternoon and welcome, and it's good to be back. I hope everybody had a nice, if strange, Passover and Easter holiday, and that everybody still managed to celebrate some way. Um, I did, virtually, uh, and I I said, I hope other people do. Well, not a very happy topic that we have to tackle today. Our most vulnerable continue to bear the biggest brunt of COVID-19. Residents of long-term care homes make up about half of the deaths from the virus amid staffing shortages and terrible conditions at some of the homes. The worst case is a private home in Montreal where 31 residents died and others were abandoned and left in their own filth, sometimes without food or water, while staff abandoned their posts and the owners allegedly withheld medical records until the government got a court order. There may be criminal charges in that case. Here at home in Ontario, 86. Long term, long term care homes are experiencing outbreaks and 114 residents have died of COVID-19 related deaths. That includes the Pinecrest Nursing Home in Bob Cajun, which has seen 29 of its residents die. Five have died at Chartwell Gibson Long Term Care Residence in North York, uh, where a COVID-19 outbreak was reported, first reported almost Two weeks ago, there are now said to be 22 residents who've tested positive, and there is a ninth COVID-19-linked death at Markhaven Home for Seniors in Markham. Meanwhile, the federal government is promising new measures to protect these residents. So I'd like to give out the numbers. I'd like to hear from you if you have a loved one or a friend or if you are in long-term care, what is the situation? I know part of the issue, uh, they are overwhelmed and people are having a hard time even just getting through to loved ones or getting any information on them. It is really a heartbreaking situation. And we do want to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And now I am joined by the Zoomer squad, including Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravit, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at Carp and Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hey, everyone.
2: Hey, Willoughby. Hello.
1: I hope everybody had a nice
2: holiday. We did. I did. Yep. Thank you.
1: Okay. Well, uh, unfortunately, the holiday was marred by, by uh, receiving this news, yes, which certainly. was absolutely dire over the weekend. Let's
3: start with Marissa. Yeah. You know, I think what's so heartbreaking about this situation is we can't even say that the home did everything humanly possible to save the lives of those 31 residents. We can't even say that. In this case, there was an utter disregard for human life. No one was monitoring how many staff showed up. No one monitored the care that was meant to be provided to these residents. And when health officials arrived, they found next to zero staff, they found urine bags spilled on the ground, uh, residents were laying in soiled beds, uh, something that you might expect in a concentration camp. It's utterly just heartbreaking, shocking. Disregard for human life—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a horrible situation. This, of course,
1: uh, was the Heron home in Quebec, and um, criminal charges may be the result of this. But mm-hmm. they were cited three years ago for problems. I mean, the, the really heartbreaking thing to mm-hmm. me is that—that that we've been talking about. You know, staffing shortages, and of course, this is an extreme example, Mm -hmm. and the Premier Legault says it it looks like gross negligence, but uh, these problems have existed for years, David.
2: They've they've existed for years, and I think to Marissa's point, there's a difference between saying I have an adequately staffed, well-run, long-term care facility uh, where I have a higher... Uh, case rate and death rate simply because COVID nineteen uh, adversely affects older people, but we're handling it. and We're doing the best we can uh, with this uh, this tragic virus. And the opposite thing: I don't have enough people. I'm not getting enough people, and nobody's watching to make sure that I try my best to uh, 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 to handle it. And I know I remember. You will remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Bob Cajun and we were talking about. Volunteers that were coming in from the community to help with the staffing uh and at that there were you know questions about what was going on, but it looked like everybody was trying their best to to do their best and here it's just uh it, I think it's if it, these facts pan out, it's worthy of criminal charges for sure mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, uh, Peter, I mean, yes, you have, that is an extreme example on the one hand, but even homes where people are trying their best, uh, they are suffering under the weight of this.
4: Yeah, and, and it appears to be the homes um, very quickly put in uh, no visit orders, so so family members couldn't show. So the only way the virus is spreading in these homes is from staff. And um, that is a huge problem that um, neither the provincial government saw fit to um, organize ahead of time, and, and they should have. And, and again, it's always the, the seniors who get the care last, who get the attention last, and it, it takes something like this to, um, to, to you know, shine the spotlight on them and, and see what dire um, conditions they operate in. And, you know, Libby, if they're going to find people for walking dogs in dog parks, you know, they have to find these people who are, who are um, so negligently behaving and killing people.
1: Well, okay, the, here's one thing that, that I've really noticed. So in the case of Bob Cajun, the sick and the well were not separated until mm-hmm. people died because there was no place to put them uh, mm-hmm. until the people died and there were empty rooms now i'm i'm contrasting this with the situation in our hospitals which seem to be coping and the reason and i remember the preparations for the hospital rooms with the the negative uh the negative whatever rooms negative uh oxygen rooms or i forget what they're called but they had they had yeah. a setup but but the thing there is that The regular things that hospitals do are mostly suspended. And that's something else that we have to tackle is what kind of regular care uh, is not happening in our hospitals. But Mm -hmm. I guess long-term care couldn't do that. They couldn't, they couldn't get rid of residents so they could prepare for an outbreak.
3: No. And when the suggestion of residents going home to be with their family members was even presented, long-term care homes threatened to give up their beds. So we know that these homes are at capacity, that they're chronically short-staffed. Frankly, they were before this pandemic. Well, exactly. And and no province did anything to prepare for this. Nothing.
4: They did nothing. And and the
3: fact of the matter is, it's not that our loved ones are unsafe in long-term care because of anything these operators are doing. We're not talking about necessarily operations of the home. Obviously, Heron is a unique circumstance where probably criminal charges will be laid, and they ought to be laid because it's clearly gross negligence. I mean, frankly, I'd be remiss to speak... Out of turn, we don't have the full scope of the investigation, but even the premier said that it was clearly a case of gross negligence. Um, But what's happening across the rest of the country is there are chronic staffing shortages. People aren't showing up to work because either they're sick, they're vulnerable, maybe they're pregnant, they don't feel comfortable going into work, there isn't the proper protective equipment there for them, so they abandon their shifts, and it's a huge mess, and this puts the residents at risk. And we have to also remember, when we're not testing the staff and the residents That also puts them at grave risk because of the way that this virus presents itself. It's not always the case that someone is showing respiratory symptoms. They may be completely asymptomatic. So up until now, we've only been testing people that are exhibiting symptoms, which means that someone else in the home could have it and could be spreading it unbeknownst to them. And that's really how this is happening. And then to your point, Libby, I mean, there aren't exactly spare beds in these long-term care homes. So how are they quarantining residents? How are they clustering residents that test positive when it's very difficult to move around, particularly in these communal living spaces? It's not like they're feeding them in their own rooms. They don't have the capacity for that. So there's still communal dining. There's still, are some, you sure? In, there's. Yes. I thought that
1: was finished. No more communal dining a lot of the homes don't have the capacity to
3: to do in room dining.
2: It goes, it goes. I think to the the, the absence of a strategy that differentiates. Where the highest risks are. Absolutely. Now I, I, I understand Absolutely. that, yeah. that if it's physical distance or social distancing, you have to really apply it to everybody. So we stay in, maybe we can walk the dog. Uh, I live on a busy street where there's dog walkers uh, all day long. I'm sitting from my front porch, but they're keeping a distance. There's, you put down tape on the sidewalks outside the store. So it really applies to everybody. But why didn't they spin off a separate Uh, planning group right at the beginning to say wait a minute um this This, is going to hit long-term care facilities harder these people are much more vulnerable and by the way this seems to be uh, uh, universally nobody saw nobody saw this coming i just you might just be interested i read a report in the times of israel of all places this morning 110 deaths total in israel 35 deaths in nursing homes so almost 40% of the total. And the Minister of Health has ordered an investigation. Why weren't we ready? Why didn't we do more? What should we have done differently? So it looked And like
1: they've been in lockdown, you know, longer than almost any other country. Than
2: us. And, and, you know, but, and you could say, okay, you know, relative to their population, I'm not poo-pooing 110 deaths, but huge ratio in nursing homes. And now they're starting to ask questions about, hey, what's going on here? There wasn't any strategy that I can discern where do we send the testing kits? Do we just spread them out over the whole country? Is there a a task force, a flying squad, a a SWAT team that is dealing with nursing homes uh, to save lives there where it's most vulnerable? Well, we know the addresses. We know the buildings. It's It's a known discernible number. Uh, It doesn't appear... It it appears to have caught everybody short.
1: I'd like to take a call from
5: Natalie in Scarborough. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Libby. Hi. I just wanted to call... uh, My mother's in that Gibson Chartwell home. Okay, yes. They are... That home is one of the best in the city, and I think I've called you on it before saying that. They test... They do the temperature test three times a day. They're doing checking their breathing three times a day they are, have been locked down for three and a half weeks so prior so they I can't say that they weren't ready if it came in it came in and I know how it comes in I mean they the people work in more than one place some in hospitals some in other care homes I get it and I'm petrified for my mom but I know she's given the best care. And I call her, probably my kids and I call her six times a day to make sure she's still okay.
1: Well, that's great that you can get through because we've heard horror stories about well, people can't get phone. through.
5: Pardon? I I made sure she had a phone in her room.
1: Right. And, that she's, ago.
5: and she's she's capable of answering oh, it at all. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. She's fine in that respect. She said the people in her room, there's a couple coughing a little bit. I said, do they have fever? She says, no, she doesn't think so. And the cough isn't very bad. So I guess we just wait and see from here.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, that's that must be a a horrible situation for you, even even as you're saying with the, you know, the the best uh, possible care. I mean, five people have died there.
5: Yes, five people have died twenty two twenty three people have it, and that's with the best possible care mm-hmm. So I can't imagine how these other homes what's happening in them
1: well you know it's it's interesting because we've had many conversations about staffing shortages in our long-term care homes right We've had many conversations about the pay for personal support workers, and, and other provinces have banned them from working in multiple homes when the reason for it is that the owners don't want to pay benefits because they're exactly certainly it. work.
5: That's exactly it. And uh, just so you know, my mom does get her meals in her room. Yeah. Um, so they no. stopped going downstairs about three weeks ago.
1: Well, that's that's good. It looks like they are uh, taking appropriate measures, but yeah. still, the only
5: thing is she's she's um, um, night and day is hard for her now. She says something's wrong with me, and I, I said, "What, mummy? What's wrong? Are you sick?" And she said, "No, I don't know if I'm dreaming that it's night, but it's day because she's not near a window." Oh. Well, you know what?
1: Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people in their in their prime aren't really sure what day it is now being cooped up at home. That's I think that's a general problem. Yeah, Maybe problem. she'll feel better if you tell her that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Natalie, thanks for your call and and you know we're we're going to be covering this a lot so uh, feel free to keep checking in with us. We want to hear from you. Thank you. I will. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> well, there you go. The situation is tough all around. I mean, should, should the, you know, if, if the government says long-term care home, uh, workers can't work at more than one home, I guess that would force, for, force the hand of, of the owners to, uh, you know, hire people with full,
3: uh, in a full-time capacity. And that would be a good thing. The practice of staff working at multiple residents, including private residences, does increase the risk of spreading infection. So to your, to your caller's point, you know, families are barred from visiting patients, even though they've been in isolation. Um, but you have these healthcare workers that are in and out of homes, and this does, uh, it does present a threat to the residents. So, so I agree that we do need to strengthen the full-time capacity, but the full-time staff capacity in these homes, which will um, ultimately limit the number of homes that people are allowed to go to their full-time at that one home and ultimately improves continuity of care at the end of the day because now they have knowledge of the residents. I mean, I was, I was really glad to hear that caller say that she does believe That the home is taking every step possible. And the expectation is that the Mm -hmm. homes do take every precaution possible to make sure that they mitigate the spread of the virus. Fact is, it's hard to control the spread of COVID-19 in communal living settings. But that isn't a comment on the fact that a lot of the homes are taking every step humanly possible to test temperatures to make sure that their patients are healthy and where the province can step in and make sure more testing gets to these residences, then that would be a very good thing.
1: You know, you know David, you were saying that there was no preparation. I mean, other than the fact that every flu and, and probably every disease is more dangerous to a frail older person. Sure. We didn't, hear that this one particularly uh, targets older people, you know, until quite recently, I guess. And, and that was evidence out of China, which uh, I would say is uh, to be looked at with caution at the best of
2: times. Well, I think we were basing the, uh, the vulnerability of the elderly as much on Italy and Spain. Um, and it's proven to be true here. My, my complaint, and I'm echoing you know, in response to the caller, who I think would be, we are glad to hear that that particular facility is, is well-run and is vigilant, and nobody's saying that the whole industry is careless or that there aren't any nursing homes. Mm-hmm. We're tracing it back to whether the government had a strategy to help and to, to verify that the, re, the right resources were in place, and they would have checked off that particular facility and said, okay, everything's fine here, what about the next one? They don't appear to have done that. They appear to have had a, um, uh, you know, one size fits all. And they have the resources, you know, as Marissa said earlier, to or Peter rather said earlier, to give you a fine if you're walking your dog too close to a park, but not to, to deal with this. And they, they should have recognized right at the beginning, if the elderly are more vulnerable because of the nature of the virus itself, where are they most concentrated, aha, here's a sector we have to take a look at and we have to spin off a sort of sub strategy for this. And that's what they're scrambling to do now. And that's what they did not do at the beginning.
1: Well, um, as I said, there was a big space issue. It's not like a hospital where they basically cancel everything that is elective. And I think, you know, borderline elective would describe a lot of the things that have been canceled um so uh you know where do you put them i i think that you did put your finger on on one thing perhaps if they had made it easier for people to take their loved ones home without a consequence that might have made a difference but um you know all of this is 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 hindsight and these are very difficult situations and and peter i mean the 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 really heartbreaking situation here it doesn't affect uh elderly residents but the disabled adults at that home in markham where the staff basically walked out even though at that point they were offered double pay and being put up in a hotel because there, there was an outbreak there and these vulnerable people they need total care
4: yeah and and um you know that that's just a microcosm of what's going on in in the whole um the whole sector and and i've been monitoring twitter today and there's a lot of talk about um, do we now need to incorporate nursing homes into the Canada Health Act? We, we, we sort of let them operate with very loose uh, supervision. You know, um, private ones have their own body they report to. You know, they, they, there doesn't seem to be any sort of uh, control over.
1: Oh, that's uh, not, there are strict yeah. guidelines for nursing homes and both the, yeah. the not-for-profit and we are going to be Yeah, but there's no, to... there's
4: no inspection. There's no, like, they, it's very easy to get around all these, these guidelines and inspect. Measures, and you know, you're alerted a month ahead of time when the inspector's coming, and like there's a lot of ways they can play it, and 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 there's a lot of talk on Twitter now about maybe it's time to get serious about regulating these homes and do do it with more power rather than the, these sort of. Um, you know, uh,
1: if 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 anything, uh, if anything, it's, it's an issue of enforcement. I think the guidelines are all there, the rules are yeah, all there, yeah.
4: but but, but the enforcement, though, right? Like no.
1: the, the enforcement is perhaps the lax part. And again, with this Heron Home, they were cited in 2017.
4: Exactly, they were cited. So, but what happened to them? You know, they're still operating, right?
1: And, and oh, we, we, we talked yeah. on
2: this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, when we talked on this program um, it was a month or so ago about uh, the home that was using um eggs that had expired three months yeah. earlier. That yeah. was the Auditor and, General's uh, report. No, nothing happened. You know, well, you know we're working with them, where I think the Minister Christine Elliott actually responded to uh, to a question from Marissa, that Well, you know, it, it, but so it happens, and then nothing happens, and I think that's. It is an enforcement issue, um, but, you know, if, you, if the public doesn't believe that there's any consistent enforcement, then it uh, becomes a crapshoot I'm afraid
1: Well, you yeah. know, it, I think if there is a silver lining to this, I think everybody has, it, has seen it in a way that it, it just can't be ignored. Right. For sure. But, yeah. I guess uh time 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 lets you ignore all things. I I don't I don't know. I mean it's I don't know what to say about this.
4: Well, we'll, we'll see like uh Francois Legault the the Premier of Quebec said it it's not acceptable the way we treat our elderly in Quebec. So obviously, you know he's mm-hmm. he's sort of foreshadowing changes to to the way Quebec runs their homes, and, and I'm sure all provinces will do it as well.
3: Well, but you remember, know. there's a difference between retirement homes and long-term care homes. The home in Quebec, these patients were paying top dollar mm-hmm. for basically a room and board, and there aren't a lot of, obviously, uh, retirement homes and long-term care homes are both governed by provincial statutes, but they're different. Um, in Ontario, we have the Long-Term Care Homes Act. And then for the retirement homes, it's the Retirement Homes Act, which basically creates a separate body, the RHRA, that then does the regulation and, and does the inspection, so on and so forth. But people in retirement homes aren't always don't always require a high level of medical care. So in terms of whether or not, you know, these 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 contracts or rather these provincial statutes you know dem- it, it demand a certain minimum standard of care for all it's often the case that people in retirement homes don't actually have an extreme care need but in long term care homes i would i would argue that they are very heavily regulated um and that there, you know, obviously there's a capacity issue when it comes to uh, conducting these inspections. And many advocates have come forward and said the, that there is a huge need for these inspections to be random and more frequent than they mm. are right now. Mm. Um, but I think that that's a challenge that is recognized at the provincial level across the country.
4: Yeah, well, but I mean, it, this—it's it's always been recognized, but it, it, nothing has ever been done about it. You know, like it, and then. And then we have something like this, and then we'll have another outbreak in, in next year, and, and we'll say, well, we have to recognize that. we." But nothing is ever done about it. So, so someone has to step forward. Some governing body has to step forward and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get these things under control. We're going to get them all following the same rules, and we're going to enforce uh, harsh penalties for those that well, don't. And that and would be just, the
3: Ministry of Health.
1: We just we just had, it, had that, it's that report. Not doing
4: it, Marissa. Like, we, it, it's not doing it, Marissa. It's not doing it.
1: Well, we just had the the big report uh, following the murders. Yeah. And uh, I believe those things are in the midst of being implemented, Marissa?
3: Yes. um, To some extent fell off the radar, but I understand in February, the ministry came out and said that they were beginning to implement some of the recommendations. And they also did announce a, a task force that was going to look into what staffing should look like in some of these long-term care homes. Again, everything's sort of been uh, just sort of put on the back burner as we try to grapple with this pandemic. So that's obviously unfortunate well, it was
2: on the back burner before it moves in a snail's pace and the pandemic if anything is proving not just an issue of long-term care but other issues that you can move faster you can be more flexible you have to be more flexible and responsive because these diseases yeah. don't wait around for your org chart
1: um let's uh, take a couple of calls we've got rosie in guelph hi rosie
6: Hi, Libby. I just wanted to say that I certainly agree with the PSW situation. These women, primarily women, are low-paid, overworked, and that's the reason they have two or more jobs, because they are not wanting to give them benefits, because there's obviously the work out there. But I want to say here in Guelph, we have an outbreak at our general hospital, and it was brought in by two nurses who also worked at a hospital in Kitchener that already had COVID-19, and they were still coming to Guelph. And it's worked out that we've had the hospital kind of shut down, I forget the exact terminology, but there's 25 staff and six patients. And yep, and the rest of it's combined to some, like the Homewood Health Center has that, and different um, senior residences, but otherwise, it seems like just two cashiers at grocery stores got it. Because we're a small place, it's easier to keep track of who and how.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the issues with testing and, and testing at, at point of entry and, and also the PPE. I think some of that is, is coming on stream, but, but they don't have proper protective gear. Okay, Rosie, thanks for your call. Let's go to uh, Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill.
7: Hi, Libby, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, so, you know, you guys were talking about enforcement. Well, I always found, uh, my mom, she passed away about a year and a half ago. She was in a long-term care home, and she was very ill towards the end. But I always found enforcement started with me and went up. They always didn't like it when I questioned them. But you know what? They're very good people. They took very good care of them and as far as these psw's and nurses working double shifts at different places you know what that's government intervention that's government monitoring to uh to get you know to get the best value for the buck they can get and the gentleman there that was talking about bringing in government to enforce it government is the issue here this is a problem that needs to be handled by by the the children the patients in there they need to go in and hold these homes accountable my mom was in a a public facility of city of toronto uh, two davidson acres i can't say enough about them absolutely outstanding service and you know what every every winter there was some kind of outbreak in there and people suffered and passed away so it's not unusual this is off the charts i agree but let's just you know let's Let's keep our heads about this. It is what
0: it is.
1: Yeah, well, a couple of uh, points there, Bill. I mean, you're right. Family members, uh, in the healthcare system are important advocates, but now these places are on lockdown. Family and some of them are having a hard time reaching their loved ones. And what about people who are alone, who don't have people to advocate for them? And, uh, it's, it's, uh, the issue is with private nursing homes. It's not, it's not the government. You know, you were at one owned by the city of Toronto, but in, in the private uh, in the private sector it's the private sector that determines the wages or the hours or all of that
7: well i mean you're paying a hefty penny in the private sector some of these people are paying $7,000 a month to yep eat. they so, are you know what if you if if the parent or maybe they don't have anybody to look out for their well-being i don't know but if you're paying $7,000 a month and you can't get decent care there's something wrong there, and if you've got kids that are just turning their backs on that, it's not the system that's the problem.
1: Well, uh, the, the, I I agree with you with family advocacy, and uh, I'm glad that your mother got such great care, Bill.
7: Well, you know what? I, I honestly, the tragedy of this thing is that you know people with their parents in a home now they're about to pass away and can't get to see them spend their last you know last days on earth.
1: It's terrible. Not
7: absolutely, yeah. That's the worst thing imaginable.
1: That's horrible, and and um, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, Bill. Thanks for your call. Okay. Yes, that's that's another thing. The isolation and and the isolation alone will make people's condition deteriorate. Uh, and on that cheery note, it's it's time to wrap things up. Uh, let's have uh, some final thoughts from you, uh, Peter. First.
4: Um. Well, again, I I always um, pitch our our website, EverythingZoomer.com. We have ongoing coverage of the COVID pandemic, and we also have a few stories that aren't related to COVID. So just if you want to, you know, clear your head a bit, we we always have a couple of stories, including Gordon Papes, which stocks should we hold on to during the pandemic? So I I, I think that's a a helpful story.
2: Yeah, I think that too, yes. Uh, (laughs) David? Well, I think that we've heard, I think the callers had some very interesting perspectives uh, that there is a high level of uh, confidence in well-run homes and good service and people working hard and let's, let's admit, you know, double shifts around the clock to try to provide the best service. But I still think that whether it's enforcement or just resources or funding, um, it's a category the government um, has just got to pay more attention to and I think uh, I know, like CARP, we're going to be uh, putting pressure on in the future to see that that happens.
3: And Marissa? I think of paramount importance is making sure our homes are adequately staffed, that staff and residents are getting tested rigorously, systematically, um, and that homes are adhering to proper quarantine protocols. One thing I would just say to all the families, uh listening who do have loved ones, whether in long-term care or retirement care, do everything you can humanly possible to go out of your way to make sure that they are not isolated. If you originally called them once a day, call them twice. If they're on the ground floor and you can go knock on a window, I drove by a home yesterday and saw three families outside knocking in to see their loved ones on Easter. So go out of your way if you can to make sure that you are doing everything humanly possible to try try and stay in contact, whether virtually or even just through a window, uh, to see your loved one in this time. Okay, good advice.
1: Okay, thank you to the Zoomer squad, Peter Mugridge, David Kravitz, and Marissa Lennox. Thanks so much.
4: Thanks, Larry.
1: And now I would like to welcome Lisa Levin, who is the CEO of Advantage Ontario, which is the group that represents nonprofit homes, and Vlad Volodarsky, who is the CEO of Chartwell. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to you both. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, first of all, Vlad, I have to uh, give you a pat on the back. One of our callers uh, has a mother in one of your residences, and uh, she felt uh, she's scared, but she felt that uh, her, mo- her mom is being well looked after.
8: Thank you for that. It is scary time for everybody, and uh, our staff, I know, are doing tremendous work trying to keep our residents, uh, their families, and themselves safe.
1: Okay. Um, so, uh, Lisa, one of our previous guests, David Kravitz, who is a VP here at Zoomer Media, and uh, his thought was that on the one hand, the province had quite extensive preparations in hospitals. And what we're seeing so far is that our hospitals are coping. They are not overwhelmed, but there was not a parallel process with long-term care homes. Uh, do you agree with that observation? Is, the, is, is that the
9: big problem? Well, Libby, you know, we're just following what we're told from the Chief Medical Officer of Health. So early on, visitors, uh, visitors were restricted from long-term care, um, and then screening was taking place. And now there's more stringent requirements for testing and um, wearing of masks. So, you know, I think that if these um, things had been put in place earlier, it could have indeed prevented some of the outbreaks that we've been seeing. Uh, Vlad,
1: would you agree with that, that, that a, a planning process for, for this particular sector would, would have avoided some of this sickness and death?
8: I think we're in the unprecedented situation. Nobody uh, could expect uh, the the outbreak uh, that that is happening or pandemic, really, that is happening across the world. Um, I would command the government on their impressive and pretty decisive responses. Uh, Could have things done differently and the outcomes would have been better? Probably. Um, I think we are where we are today and we need to focus at the task that we have at hand and uh, trying to um, keep our residents families and staff safe, and uh, move on.
1: Lisa, is staffing uh, a huge issue at, at most of uh, the facilities in your group?
9: Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely challenging. But I have to tell you, the staff are unbelievable, and I, I my heart goes out to them, and I thank them so much because they're so committed. Um, but yes, for sure, when you have an outbreak in a home, then staff have to go in isolation uh, or some of them have difficulty getting child care. And so staffing is down in homes with outbreaks. And so we are trying to work to find solutions for that. And we have some really great initiatives that we have um, put forward. And also the government has come up with uh, some really good, a really good website to help recruit people.
1: Uh, are you having, uh, are you seeing retired nurses and personal support workers come back to work and medical students? That's what we've been hearing about.
9: Yes, all kinds of people are pitching in uh, across the province, and it is really inspiring to see how in such dark times we have what we call bright lights. Uh, do you have any idea how many
1: or what kind of percentage are, are people who have been uh, seconded, shall we say?
9: I don't know the numbers. I can tell you that around 4,000 nursing students uh, have come and started working in long-term care homes across Ontario with an wow. initiative we have with the Registered Nursing Association, I think around 280 personal support workers uh have uh been redeployed and are working uh as well uh with long term care and registered practical nurses, I'm not sure the number, but we're working with their association too. And we also have 70 dietitians on standby through dietitians of Canada who are uh ready and willing to uh take on those roles. So it's been really amazing and government has been acting very fast. Um, and I've never seen them
8: act work as fast. It's been quite incredible.
1: Vlad, what about staffing on your
8: end? Um, Yes, there are challenges in certain places, um, that is for sure. But I was so impressed with the um, reaction of the communities and the staff um, at our homes. I mean, people are certainly going above and beyond, and we're trying to do everything possible to accommodate them. Um, But the outpouring of support that we've been receiving from the residents, families, and staff, is just encouraging and fantastic, and and certainly gets our staff going uh, in these extremely difficult circumstances.
1: Uh, now, uh, again, we heard from a woman whose mother is in is in one of uh, your facilities that they stopped uh, uh, serving meals in the communal places, but but I've also heard that that's not possible at all homes. Lisa, what about that measure?
9: Yeah, so homes are doing different things depending on what their capacity is. So uh, some homes are continuing to serve in their dining rooms, but they are bringing people in in shift so that there's uh, a lot less people and they can maintain physical distancing between themselves. Uh, obviously, if there's an outbreak, then uh, people eat in their own rooms. Um, and then even without an outbreak, though, some homes are doing things like um, breakfast in bed. You know, they're trying to make it sound like a fun thing. And uh, there's a lot of creativity going on in the sector and our members are sharing all kinds of best practices with each other.
1: Uh, We're going to be hearing from federal officials this afternoon about new measures for long-term care homes. Now, one of them is uh, something that's in effect in other provinces and this is uh, forbidding people who work in long-term care to work in more than one home. Vlad, how do you feel about that?
8: Well, it, it needs to be balanced, right? Um, this is certainly an important measure from the infection prevention uh, point of view, where you have lowering risk, you're lowering risk of cross contamination if you have people working at one home. The reality is, though, they're still going back home and they're interacting there in the community. So you're not completely eliminating the risk. This needs to be balanced with the possibility where in uh, some homes we will have not enough staff to take care of people, and in some other homes you might have um, too much staff. And so that needs to be balanced as well. So um, the the idea is a good one. It's the implementation that I'm worried about, and that needs to be thought through very carefully.
1: What about the financial aspect? I mean, what we're told is that the reason that a a lot of workers don't have full-time hours is is an issue of benefits. Can homes afford to um, pay them more, basically?
8: Um, Well, it it really depends on the situation. But I think in the current environment that we're in, everybody's trying to do everything possible to accommodate our employees to make sure that we have sufficient staff to take care of our residents. And so um, these are exceptional circumstances and require exceptional measures that uh, people are undertaking, I know.
1: Uh, Lisa, what's, what's your view of that requirement? And I'm assuming that if the government puts that in, it'll, it'll stand for regular times as well as these extraordinary times.
9: I don't know if it would stand for regular times, but certainly it's a very important measure to put in place to reduce the spread of infection. How, uh, uh, however, the problem is, is when you do that, some homes will be unable to operate and will not have enough staff. And that reflects a situation in long-term care where we don't have enough funding and we don't have enough standing, uh, staffing. Uh, so we need to have measures put in place before or con- coincident with um, this restriction, such as hazard pay for workers so that they can get more compensation, making sure that um, homes can afford to bring people on full-time, and we need to look at as many options as possible to bring additional staffing into the sector.
1: I'd like to take a call from Paul in Etobicoke. Hello, Paul.
10: Good afternoon, Libby. Nice to speak to you.
1: Nice to speak to you.
10: Okay, my wife works in a long-term home in Toronto, and one of the staff tested positive for corona. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The staff obviously, you know, remained home in quarantine, but the staff member did have contact with basically everybody in the nursing home. Mm-hmm. So the case in, in my wife's case is that they would like all the staff to be tested before returning to work.
1: Okay, and that finally,
10: makes Yeah, if they're in the incubation period and they're at work, they could be spreading it to the residents. And they wouldn't know that. But they're basically telling them that unless you're showing signs, there's no need to be tested. But by that time, it could be too late because you could actually be spreading it, being in in, in the incubation uh, period. And it's like a catch-22 situation. I don't know.
1: Well, I thought that they were, or this was the claim from the government, that they're ramping up testing. I mean, you're right. That makes no sense. So has your wife been told to come to work before being tested?
10: Yes, uh, all the staff there said, hey, we want to be tested because our coworker is positive. But they're saying, no, you don't need to be tested unless you start to show symptoms. But by then, it's
1: too late. Uh, and and so what is your wife doing? Is she going back to work?
10: Yes, she's going to work every day. Uh, they, uh, they are getting PPE. Um, but at the same time, that period before... They were, you know, told about the other staff member being positive. You know, that was like 10 days went by before they were told. So, you know, what do you do, right? I believe, and she wants everyone tested before they enter the nursing home, which makes sense.
1: Thanks, Libby. Okay, thank you for that. That's uh, pretty disturbing. Uh, Lisa, do you have anything to say about that?
9: Uh, Yes. So we have been asking the government to do testing, to to have more testing. And so because of that, they did change the rules. So now they're going to be testing people more broadly. So if someone in the home, either a staff or a resident has Mm COVID-19, then they will test the residents who are, if it's a resident who's sick, residents who are in the room with that person, if they share a room, or residents in rooms around it. And all the staff who have had close contact with that resident or that staff will have to be tested.
1: But, but when? I mean, uh, this situation seems like it's happening now. And uh, those tests, I mean, according to what Paul said, no
9: tests. Well, so that's a problem. And Paul's wife needs to talk to the management. So this is a rule that came out very recently And at the same time, homes need to be able to have enough swabs and they need to have people to come in and help them do the testing. So it's possible that the home has been trying to get this and they're waiting on it. So I'd be happy to help if, you know, afterwards you want to get the name of the home and if it's one of my members, I can look into that.
1: Okay. I hope that Paul is still uh, listening. I I didn't want to get the name of the home on on air for obvious reasons. Vlad, do you have a, a comment on that? Well, I agree with,
8: with you that the wide, wider spread testing is a, a better way to go and maybe a solution to our crisis overall. And so the more of that we do, the better it is. Um, I understand that there are constraints on government resources to do that. Um, I understand that in the early days of this uh, pandemic, it was taking a very long time for these tests to come back. It seems to be a bit faster now and they are testing more people now. And so that's a good sign. Um, but I'm, I'm Pretty certain they cannot test everybody um, immediately, and so it's unfortunate, but that that takes time. Um, so I, I do think that this is a, a great solution to have a more more tests out there for particular long term care and retirement home staff and residents.
1: Well, in in that case, it sounds like uh, the, the uh, barn door was closed after the horses left. If this is, situation is ten days into it, uh, I mean, it's just. Uh we, we just heard this morning about a new kind of test from a company in Ottawa that gives a result in less than an hour. But whether the right people have the test, that's another story. Uh, and, and what about the PPE, the uh, protective equipment? Lisa, are your homes, are, are, do they have enough?
9: Well, it's been really challenging, Libby. And some of them have enough. And some of them have been really struggling. So we've been working closely with the province. They've been securing more PPEs and so they're flowing them to our homes because their regular suppliers aren't don't they don't have them. Um, but the amount that's been coming to homes has been trickling in. So they do have the PPEs, but it's been tough to get them.
1: So does it are do they usually just order on their own and now they're going through you and the
9: province? They usually order on their own and now they have to go through the province.
1: And, and, Vlad, what's the situation at Chartwell?
8: Well, we, we've been working pretty much around the clock, our supply chain management uh, team, uh, trying to source the PPE so that we have sufficient for all of our homes across the country, for that matter. And, um, you know, we've been having some successes in securing the, the, the supply. Um, so we, we are mandating now uh, PPE use in all of our retirement homes and long-term care homes. Um, the government had helped a little bit um, when uh, the uh, homes went going into outbreak, and they're supplying PPE in those cases. Uh, this is certainly a challenge, and uh, will probably continue to be the challenge uh, for uh, some period of time. There are a number of initiatives that uh, I know people are putting together and uh, making groups together to put the orders through, so that um, the PPE can be sourced and available for all healthcare workers. Uh, but it. At the present time, it is a challenge.
1: And do you know, is any of it, we know that that a a number of local companies have retooled to make this. Um, Have you already received any from there, or are these mostly sources from uh, China and the United
8: States? Well, we're looking everywhere. So we we received some locally. We've ordered quite a bit from overseas. Uh, It just remains to be seen when it's going to arrive. The lead time for these orders is pretty long, and uh, the need is here and there now. And uh, if there's anything our government can do, um, maybe one of the top three things is to uh, provide priority access to retirement and long-term care sectors to the PPE supply that they have.
1: Okay, yeah, uh, we're running out of time. Lisa Levin, what is the priority for you?
9: Well, the priority is that we need to keep with the PPE. We need to ensure that staff have the right equipment. And we need to make sure that as many people as possible in the homes are tested. We also have to look at other environments, though, that aren't getting support, like supportive housing and assisted living for seniors. They've been completely ignored. And I'm concerned that there could be a big problem coming up in that area. Yeah, you're right. We haven't
1: dealt with that yet. Um, Thank you so much, Lisa Levin, CEO of Advantage Ontario, and Vlad Volodarsky, the CEO of Chartwell Retirement Residences. Uh, Thank you for updating us, and uh, we will probably talk again soon. And that is all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.